Turn, if you would, to the fifth chapter of the book of Matthew. I was out last week, two weeks ago, on Sunday night. We had another wedding in our family. My family's getting larger and larger. I now have an official daughter-in-law, so to go with my three sons-in-law, which I figured out they, they refer to themselves collectively as the outlaws. And uh, so, anyway, that was at the snow cone shack where we had the wedding. Huh? Yeah. In Middle Othian, there's a snow cone place that has a little event center behind it, holds about 60 people, and the bride's family have known the owners of all this all their life, so uh, that's where the wedding was. It was actually very nice, very uh, cute, and they're all married. (gasps) And then... Tuesday after that, I left and I drove to California with my uh, Marine son. He's now in Southern California, which is a lot better than Okinawa. So anyway, I drove out with him and then flew home. So that's why I was out last week. We started several, several weeks ago the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the book of Matthew. There is a shorter version of it in the book of Luke. This is the longest recorded sermon that we have from Jesus. And we're taking it uh, very slowly. Today we will cover ten words. (laughs) Chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This first section of the Sermon on the Mount is known as the Beatitudes. Blessed are, somehow if you put that in Latin, you get beatitude, okay? So blessed are those who have certain characteristics. We started with the discussion of the fact that if you ask people in the world today, what characteristics would you like to see in your children, you would come up with a list. You know, you'd want them to be responsible, you'd want them to be hardworking, you'd want them to be success in life, you'd want them to be nice, whatever that means, So on and so forth. But when God gives a list of the characteristics that he wants to see in his children, he begins with, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's a strange thing to begin with. Blessed are those who lack something. And we discussed at length the fact that the poor in spirit are those who acknowledge they cannot do it on their own. The amazing thing about the kingdom of heaven is that as long as you continue to try to work your way into it, you'll never make it. 
And the moment you accept the fact that you cannot do it on your own, God swings the door open and says, come on in. God is going to save you in such a way that God himself receives all the glory. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who acknowledge they cannot do it on their own. But what do you do when you acknowledge that you can't do it on your own? Well, you mourn for the fact that your sin has separated you from God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. But the reality is God has promised you comfort by giving you forgiveness of your sin, by giving you a release from the punishment that you rightfully should have had because of your sin. Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. But what will your attitude be if you've acknowledged the fact you cannot do it yourself, if you acknowledge the fact that you're a sinner and you have mourned over that fact, but you have received the comfort, you have received the salvation from God, are you going to leave at that point and go, wow, wow, I must really be a great person. I must really be a top-notch guy that God would want to be on my team. No, you wouldn't. You would have an attitude of humility, which brings us to the next of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And we run into all kinds of problems with this Beatitude. First off, we hate the word meek. We hate the word meek because it sounds a whole lot like another English word called weak. And we begin to associate in our mind the meek are the weak and who wants to be weak in a world that honors those who are strong and tough? Peter Kreft, a Catholic uh, professor, I guess, says, All the sources and commentaries I could find on this verse have two things in common. They wanted to distinguish clearly what Jesus meant by the meek from what the world means and scorns. And though they wanted to, they couldn't, at least not very clearly. We are going to talk today about being meek. We are going to talk about what it means. It simply means humility, being gentle to those around you. But I will guarantee you, you will walk out of here going, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. You ought to be a meek person. Me, I'm not going to do that. Because we're going to still have this idea in my mind that somehow being meek is being weak. And biblically, there is no connection between meekness and weakness. We're going to look at it through the prism of two particular people. One of them is Moses, who was described as the meekest person on the planet. Now, if you really want to think about it too much, he did write that. <laughs> but we will assume that he was given that passage by the Holy Spirit, who directed him to write that. And secondly, we will talk about Jesus Christ, who described himself as meek. 
neither of these two individuals, neither one of them, would we describe as being weak. The second problem we have with this passage, though, is the conclusion. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, we were real good with entering the kingdom of heaven, blessed are the poor in spirit, and we were real good with being comforted, but when you get down to blessed are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth, people kind of look at you and go, what does that mean? In fact, about half the commentaries that I looked at in preparing this had long discussions about what it meant to be meek. And then went on to hungering and thirsting after righteousness, which is the next verse. And never dealt at all with what it meant to inherit the earth. So, there are the two problems before us that we have in this small amount of time. What does it mean to be meek? And how is that different than being weak? And what does it mean that the meek shall inherit the earth? So, meek. As I said, it basically means humble or gentle. Have you ever, in your entire life, called anyone meek and didn't mean it as an insult? (laughs) We just don't use the word today. It's just not something that is in our vocabulary. I would like to cure that. Turn, if you would, to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 12. We actually covered this a couple of years ago when we went through the history of Israel. Chapter 12, let's start in verse 1 and get a running start into them. this. Miriam and Aaron, that would be Moses' brother and sister, spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. Now, we had a discussion about this years ago. We're assuming that this is the wife that he married when he became a shepherd, okay? We're going to assume that. For the rest of the discussion. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Let's stop right there. What we have here is a good old-fashioned power play. They're ticked off at Moses. Now, they say they're ticked off at Moses because he married a foreigner. He did not marry a Jewish woman. What they're really ticked off is that Moses is in charge of all the people. Doesn't God speak to all of us? I mean, we're sitting here, you know, this side of the cross, and the Holy Spirit is in all of us. I mean, aren't all of us just as good? Why should we listen to the pastor? Why should we listen to Pastor Ted? Isn't my opinion just as good as yours? Don't I hear from God just like you do? That's their complaint. Miriam and Moses, and Aaron... Moses' sister and brother. I mean, let's face it. This is the sister that saved Moses' life. Don't you think that she would uh, get a little credit for this? That's their argument against Moses. And the Lord heard this complaining. Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now, the man Moses was very meek, 
more than all people who were on the face of the earth. Now let's look at Moses and try to figure out what in his life demonstrated the fact that he was meek. But before we do that, let's get the other problem out of the way. Moses walked into the presence of Pharaoh and said, let my people go. This is a pretty gutsy move. He repeatedly went into the presence of of Pharaoh. He repeatedly dealt with his own people who were complaining. He repeatedly went to God on behalf of the people because the people were terrified. Are these demonstrations of somebody who's weak? No. So what is it in the life of Moses that, ge- that demonstrates that he is a meek person? His dependency upon God. Hmm. Anybody else? Go ahead. He is seeking to put forward what God is doing, not his own agenda. Moses is accepting the fact that he is standing between God and the people. Moses is not calling the shots. God is calling the shots. Moses doesn't even want to be there. I mean, let's face it. He's out tending the animals, and he comes upon a bush that's burning. And God says, I've got a job for you. And Moses says, you've got the wrong guy. That's a loose translation. Go find someone else. Okay, that's just his personality. He was just a meek person to begin with. Hmm. Where did he grow up? Sometimes we forget this. He grew up in Pharaoh's household. He grew up as a prince. He grew up as some, and at some point in his life, he saw one of the Hebrews being beaten, and he looked this way, and he looked that way, and he took power into his own hand, and he killed the Egyptian and hid the body. Why? Because he was the son of Pharaoh. He is a powerful person. I can do what I want to do when I want to do it. And God drove him out into the wilderness for years and years and years and years and years and years. Until Moses began to realize it wasn't about Moses. Moses was not by nature anything resembling meek. He had to be taught by God to be meek and to depend upon God and not depend upon Moses. When Moses entered the presence of Pharaoh, he did not do so because he was strong. He did it because God was strong. Moses was humble and he was gentle, but he wasn't 
weak. What does it mean to be humble? Not think highly of yourself. yourself. It's interesting because we see it in a lot of people today. Oh, I'm just no good. (laughs) I can't do anything. I might as well sit at home. And we think, gosh, that's a really humble person. No. They're looking for you to tell them, no, you're really great. They're milking you for a compliment. The humble person acknowledges the fact that God has given them abilities and strengths, and they use that for God's purposes while acknowledging the fact that God gave it to them in the first place. Let me give you a horrible example. I live 15 miles from the church. And this morning, I got here in 20 minutes. Aren't you impressed? (laughs) Did you know that the best marathon runner in the world, 26 miles, they're working very hard to get it down to two hours. Right now, they're about two hours and three minutes. There's this big push by all the shoemakers to get it down to two hours. So it takes them two hours to go 26 miles, and it only took me 20 minutes to go 15 miles. I'm better than all of them. But you know that's not true, because you know that I got in a car to get here. I didn't do it. I did not do it. So why do we think that when we are demonstrating the fruits of the Spirit, that it's us doing it? Why don't we just accept the fact that the power came from somewhere else? That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit. (gasps) Amazing. Humility says... God has given me these strengths, these abilities, and he has called me to use them, but it all came from God, and all the glory goes to God. C.S. Lewis says it's like the great architect who builds the magnificent cathedral, and he knows it's a magnificent cathedral, but he would have been just as excited if somebody else had built it. That's the hard part. Because our pride says, look at me, I built this. Moses did not have that pride. Moses didn't want the job. Moses was called by God and he went because God told him to do it. And he did it through the power of God. Not a one of those plagues was brought about by Moses. The waters of the Red Sea did not part because of Moses. The law was not given because of Moses. The manna and the quail didn't show up because of Moses. It happened because of God, and Moses knew it. Moses was a humble, gentle, meek person. And the scripture tells us, of all the people on the world at that time, Moses was the meekest of them all because he recognized his dependence upon God. Let's think about this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. They know they can't do it on their own. 
God lets them into the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn for their sins because they know it separates them from God. God gives them comfort. If you've reached that point, and if your heart is full, still full of pride, you really haven't reached that point. You still think that you can do it. You still think that you're in control. You still think that you have the power. You still think it's all about you, and it's not. Blessed are the meek, those who are humble and acknowledge that everything they have comes from God. <sighs> Turn to Matthew chapter 11. Example number two. Matthew chapter 11, we'll start in verse 25 to get a running start into this. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to your two little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon, me, on, upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls." For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That word that is used right there for gentle is the exact same word that is used over in the Sermon on the Mount, translated meek. So, let's look at the life of Jesus. Uh, let's see. John the Baptist is uh, arrested for preaching. So what does Jesus go do? Goes and do. He starts preaching. Hmm. Doesn't sound like the smartest move if you ask me. He is continually confronted by all the official religious leaders of the time, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. You know, to me, he should have attempted to get along with them a little bit better. I think it would have helped his career. Um he goes into the, the uh, temple, and there's all this business going on, and he makes a whip, and he runs them out. Not the best way to win friends and influence people. He is continually looking at strangers and saying, come and follow me, and they do. Does this strike us as the actions of someone who is weak? No. We have survived many, 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 many years of people painting pictures of Jesus as this very docile looking, hey, aren't I cute? <laughs> Jesus lived outdoors. He was walking from place to place. He was a carpenter by trade. He probably had tougher hands than most of us. 
There was nothing weak about Jesus. Jesus confronted those who needed to be confronted, but he was also gentle with those who needed comforting. So Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, because I am meek. I am gentle. What does he mean by that? What does he mean when he says that I am meek and I am gentle? Remember, we talked about this the first or second week of this series, Into the Life of Christ. Jesus, you ready for this? Is God. Now, I've said in here repeatedly, 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 the first step of humility, right, is acknowledging the fact that there is a God and you're not it. This doesn't work for Jesus. Jesus acknowledges that there is a God and he is it. So why would Jesus, the creator of the universe, describe himself as being meek, as being gentle? Because he knows, he knows that you and I are frail. He does. He can deal with the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and when needs be, he can pull out the whip and he can go to town. But when he meets the woman at the well, who's had five husbands, and the man she's with now, he doesn't beat her up at all. When the woman caught in the act of adultery is dragged out and they ask Jesus, I've got some rocks. You want to help us stone her? He doesn't say anything bad to her. Go. Sin no more. When the woman comes to him to wash his feet, he doesn't attack her. Who are you touching me? You're probably a sinner. That's what the Pharisees would have done. That's exactly what they have done. But he knew that we are frail and weak. And when he calls us to himself, he says, Come, for I am gentle. I am meek. So the question that we're left with is, if God, Christ, demonstrated in his human form what it meant to be gentle and meek, shouldn't we, as his followers, strive to be gentle and meek to others around us? But guess what? Sometimes we're not. (laughs) Sometimes we're not very gentle and meek to those around us. We can look at meekness in two dimensions. It is our meekness before God, our acknowledgement that we cannot do it, our acknowledgement that he has done it all. We are humble before God. That's easy, so we think. 
But we can also demonstrate our meekness toward others and those around us. And that gets a lot harder. Because while I may acknowledge that God is God and I'm not, and I will be humble before him, heaven forbid I'm going to be humble before you, right? Who do you think you are? That's the attitude that we adopt. But Jesus Christ, God, comes and says that he is gentle and meek. And we are told repeatedly in the scriptures to be imitators of Christ. So, what is it that prevents us from being humble, meek, gentle to those around us? Pride. Ultimately, it's all going to boil down to pride. You know, let's face it. I can be humble before God, well, because he's God. But I am better than you, right? Why would I think that? If I have truly been poor in spirit and acknowledge that I can't do any of it. I can't. And then God opens the doors to the kingdom of heaven. If I truly have mourned for my sins because I know my sins have separated me from God and messed up my relationships here on earth. But God brings me comfort. If I've really done that, why would I think that I'm better than you? I always liked a phrase in uh, some Foster's book about the spiritual disciplines. And he's talking about doing acts of service, being a servant. And he says, we're all willing to serve other people as long as we're in control. I'm willing to act like I'm meek as long as I, everybody acknowledges that I'm better than you. No. No. We still have that pride in us saying, yep, God's lucky to have me on his team. And that's what hinders us. And that's why we have to go back to, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Now, if you remember, when we started the discussion of the Beatitudes, we had a brief discussion about the fact, are these things that we work at doing, or are these things that God develops inside of us without our involvement? And the answer is, well, both. Okay? When you look at the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and by the way, that word gentle is the same word that's used here for meek. So, gentleness, meekness, is a fruit of the Spirit. What does that mean? It means the Spirit is inside of me, and the fruit that comes out of that naturally is gentleness. That's a true statement. But the scripture also teaches us to work, to put on gentleness and meekness. Well, which is it? Is God doing it in me or am I doing it? And the answer is yes. If I think that I can do it on my, in my own strength, I'm toast. Because I can't do it. Okay? 
I, I just can't. But with the strength and power of God working in my life, when I get to a situation and I can choose to be gentle and meek or not, <laughs> I have to choose to be gentle and meek. It is interesting. I've said in here before that we do marriage mentoring. You know, our church has a good mentoring program. Couples that are being married in the church have to go through it. And an older couple works with the couple-to-be. And one of the big discussions is communication. How do you talk with somebody? And one of the things you have to learn is to be gentle in your conversation. I don't know if you read the book. It was very popular last year, Hillbilly Elegy, about this guy. I mean, the guy's the hillbilly that wrote the book. And, you know, he, he came from, well, his definition, he's a hillbilly. But he goes in the Marines, gets into a good college, meets a nice girl, and he says, the first time we have a disagreement, I start yelling at her. And she looks at me and goes, why are you doing that? Well, that's what he was taught. That's the way he was brought up. You want to make your point? You yell at people. That's our sin nature. You get married, you have a disagreement, and you start yelling at people. No. You need to be gentle in all your conversations. A gentle answer, what? Turns away wrath. It's interesting when you look at that passage addressed to wives who are married to unbelievers. How are the wives to conduct themselves that are married to the unbelievers? With a gentle and quiet spirit. Same word, same context. Why? Because you'll win a lot more converts with a gentle and quiet spirit than you will by yelling and screaming at them. I found this out in my own parenting experience. I've, I've said before, I mean, I used to yell at my kids, you know. And I don't think there's necessarily anything immoral about yelling at your kids. Sometimes they just need to be yelled at, right? <laughs> but what I discovered is it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. You get a lot more impact if you just talk to them. Why? Because God dealt with us with a gentle and meek spirit. And he did it because it works. And we are told to imitate Christ. Now, we're running out of time. That's good. I was hoping to avoid the whole inherit the earth thing. <laughs> Turn to Psalm 37. If you had lots of time and you really wanted to figure out what being meek meant, you could work your way through Psalm 37. Uh, verse 4, delight in the Lord. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. Uh, verse 7, be still before the Lord. Fret not yourself. Verse 8, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. These are all 
demonstrations of what it means to be meek. But then we get to verse 11. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Christ stands before this crowd that he's delivering this sermon to. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And they, being a predominantly Jewish audience, would immediately have gone back to the psalm, and they would have said, Ah, that's the promise that's given there. Now, in the time of the Old Testament, what that meant was they got the land, right? The big promise, when they were in bondage in Egypt, well, let's go back even further than that, the promise to Abraham is, I'm going to give you all this land that you've walked over. They go to Egypt, they're in bondage, and what is the image in their head that they want? What does salvation mean to them? Returning to the land. And God drove them out of Egypt and sent them to the promised land. And the promise to them was, as long as you're obedient, it's yours. They weren't, and it wasn't. But the psalmist says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall have salvation. They shall have the land. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm not sure land is the reward that I'm after. Okay? One commentator went so far to say that obviously the meek don't control the earth today. Therefore, this proves the Sermon on the Mount doesn't apply to us today. Eh, I wouldn't go with that. We do know that in the future, there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and we'll get it. Okay? That's the future. We'll deal with that in some lessons sometime next year. The ultimate promise is the new earth, and the meek shall inherit the earth. But the commentators have an interesting other take on it. And that is, when I am humble and gentle and meek, I learn to be content with that which God has given me. That's interesting. Contentment removes the dissatisfaction that drives me to believe I've got to be better than you because I want your stuff. So to say the meek inherit the earth is to say that even in this life, when they acknowledge that they have entered the kingdom of heaven, when they have acknowledged that they have been comforted by God himself, they can acknowledge the fact that I, like Paul, have learned to be content in whatever stage that I'm in. And guess what? The earth is mine. Because everything that I need, God has provided. He has provided to me. And yes, there is the future blessing of a new heaven and a new earth where, in fact, the meek will be the inheritors of the earth. You can see why people have a little trouble with this because 
it's, it's a little different than the other two. Now, we have about four minutes left, and I've got one more point that I want to cover, which is a little odd, and it's a little odd because it really only applies to our society in the last 50 years. And to do it, we've got to talk just a moment about the whole idea of revelation, okay? God reveals to people, men, his word. They write it down in the Bible. We receive that Bible, and we acknowledge that it is the word of God. Pretty obvious, right? What we have right here was written by men, but it wasn't written by men. It was God moving godly people, and they wrote down what he told them to write. And there could be all kinds of discussions about whether he told them word for word. I mean, we'll cover that at some time in the future. There's a problem, and that is that we live in a postmodern age which acknowledges any of that happening. So when I read the scripture and I say, and I read, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. The world today is going to look at us and say, that's the most arrogant thing in the world. That's what they do say. I mean, I've heard this said. It is arrogant of you to believe that you know the way and everybody else is wrong. How can we demonstrate meekness when the world assumes that if we say we have the revelation of God, we're being arrogant? What, 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 how do we remove ourselves from that dilemma? Well, the answer is, you're not going to do it. Why? Because in an age that does not believe in absolute truth, those who believe in absolute truth are going to be accused of being arrogant for believing that. Because they think we just made it up. They really do. They think that some guy at some point in history just made this whole story of Jesus Christ up. They didn't believe Jesus when he said it. Why would they believe us? But that does not free us from the obligation to be meek, gentle, and humble. What we as believers say is it's not my opinion. People walk up and say, do you think such and such is a sin? And I say, yes, I think it's a sin. They go, why do you think that? And it becomes a problem in sociology. What in my background brought me to the point where I believe such and such is a sin? And it's all about me, because that's the way the modern world works. When they come and say, do you think such and such is a sin? The correct answer is, God says it's a sin. And whether I think it is or not... The humility needs to be on us, not on the word of God. If God has said it, we need to accept it as the word of God. But we need to present it with humility, with gentleness, 
and with meekness. You remember that wonderful passage? Always be prepared to give a defense of the hope that is in you. We quote that all the time as, you know, be ready when somebody says, why do you believe that? To give an answer. But what does the next phrase say? And do it with gentleness. Here's what you need to leave with, okay? Today, work at being gentle. Wait a minute. Who am I going to be gentle with? I don't know. The person who cuts you off in traffic? The person who takes your pew in the church service? The person who gets your seat at the restaurant? I don't know. Trust me, God will bring somebody in your path. Some people have learned to be gentle and meek and humble. They have, and that's good. Let's watch them and figure it out. Instead of saying, well, the world's just going to walk over them. It's just going to roll right over them, and they're, well, maybe it will, but probably it won't. But here's the question. At the end of the day, at the end of a life, is it better to have done things God's way, or is it better to have done them the way of the world? There was a guy that was working in the children's uh, ministry at this church. And he was commenting about some of the children being very active. Is that a nice way of saying it? <laughs> Let's just say rebellious. And you talk to their parents, and their parents say, well, yeah, that's what it takes to get ahead in this world. Well, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it does, and maybe it doesn't. But it's not what God has called us to. God has called us to be meek and humble in the world that we live in. You can read the scripture, and there are all kinds of passages regarding the fate of the proud. And they're not good. Not a one of them is good. My contention is, in spite of what every business book teaches you, humility is still an attractive virtue. To accept the fact that I don't know all the answers, to accept the fact that I do need the support of others, to accept the fact that I am not king of this world. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble, blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the good things of this earth. And I believe that's true. No, I don't believe they'll be walked over, they won't be squished. But when they are, if they are, the rewards are from God, not from this world. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would work in the hearts of all of us to become gentle to those who are around us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um.